you're listening to a message from Lifeway Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. Now, please enjoy this message from our pastor, Bruce Rhodes. It's the power of His Word that makes the changes that we need. And some of us, we don't even know that we need changes. Maybe you woke up this morning and said, no, I like my life. I I don't want anything to change. Well, uh, think again. We all need changes, right? We all need tweaking. We all need adjustments. If you've been to the chiropractor once, guess what? They want you to come back and come back and come back and come back. You know, the doctor says he gives you this and he sends you home. He says, you've got a clean bill of health. Take these tablets and then come back, right? So I can check you out. And then you have a yearly checkup and then you... Listen, God is constantly watching over us to check us out. And if we'll just stay still long enough, he'll tell us where we need to, to shore up, to change, to tweak, to... to I'm saying that because we are, we're going to be talking about the helmet of salvation. I don't care how many messages you've heard on the helmet of salvation. You have never heard this one yet. Come on. You haven't heard this one yet. I'm so excited, and I've ministered on the helmet of salvation, and it talks about the battlefield of the mind. I'm just going to kind of give you a preview because we're going to have to go two weeks on this. There's so much material. I can't possibly cover it in 35 minutes. So we're going to have to go, um, and guys, go ahead and set the clock. It's at zero right now. Listen, don't, don't tempt me. I could just go all day long, but this is going to be, it's going to be a powerful message, so I'm going to, I'm going to give it with as much oomph and powers, I got it, so you, you receive it with as much powers as we give it. Amen? Amen? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren. Think about the word finally. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and the Ephesus is one of the most powerful books. He talks about who we are in Christ and where we're seated with Christ. And, and he goes through chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, all the way to chapter 6, and then he says, Finally. So he says all these wonderful things, but then finally, he's building up to this point of finally, you're seated with Christ, you have the victory, you're there, uh, Christ has done it all for you, just like we were singing, but then we still have to put on our armor. We still, we're still in a battle. And he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might to remind us that our might doesn't work, but his might is greater than our might. Right? Come on, somebody. To borrow the phrase from another preacher in the city. Come on, somebody. Or probably more than one. Put on the whole armor. Everybody say whole armor. armor. The whole armor. Now, you have to remember that, that Paul was, as he was writing this, he was chained to a Roman soldier. And so he knew what he saw. He had not seen Iron Man's armor. So he couldn't say, put on that super duper, uh, you know, all the Iron Man created a bunch of armor, Mark 4, Mark 5, all this super, and all the armor did different things. And listen, God has this super, I want to blow your mind a little bit and tell you that God has this supernatural armor that that is not regulated or limited to the Roman soldier's armor. Not, not, Not these things. These things are just up here for looks because I'm going to talk about them and tell you about them. But, but uh, God's armor is much greater than, the, than anything that the devil has. 
And so he says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the strategies and schemes of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rules of this darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Stand, stand, stand. Don't sit down. Stand. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Stand. I, I can imagine if, if you had all this armor on, it would be kind of hard to sit down. <laughs> right? I don't know. But I'm thinking we need to be standing. If the enemy's shooting, I need to be standing in this full armor and hold that shield of faith up that we were talking about last week. Standing, standing. Girding your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith, which with you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And we know above all, that doesn't mean that the shield of faith is more important than everything, but the shield of faith is out there in front, right, to catch the fiery darts in front. So have it out and ready in front. And then he says, and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying with all, always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So, the helmet of salvation. The, the, the Greek word for salvation in this verse does not mean the helmet is salvation. It means it's a helmet of salvation. It's an adjective. It's describing the helmet. The helmet... Is put on to save our head. It is a salvation piece that the Lord gave us. It, it doesn't mean just eternal life with God. Put on your salvation. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. That's great. That's wonderful. But the helmet does something. It saves our head and protects. And so back to this, this passage... Every part of the, uh, of the armor has a purpose and, and protects a different part of the body from certain strategies of the enemy. The shield of faith is designed to be out in front to catch the fiery darts of the enemy. But listen, if you don't have your shield of faith, but you still have your helmet of salvation on, you can still make it out alive. So there's provision, right? Right? Because some, sometimes we go out of the house and we forget putting on or picking up our shield of faith, right? But it's important that we, that we put on the whole armor. But I want you to see that each piece has its function. And, and all of these pieces function together. The goal is to keep us alive. And the enemy's goal is to take us out as quickly and as swiftly as and is fine, fine with finality to not, not just maim us, but kill us, right? If you don't have your shield up, you're going to get hit in the head because the enemy is not aiming at your shield of faith. The enemy is aiming at your head. The enemy wants a headshot. Boom. He's not saying, oh, let me just, let me just hit his uh, right a big toe on his right foot. <laughs> right? Think about it. He's coming at you full force. For your head. For the kill. So, the helmet guards and protects. 
This is a Corinthian helmet. Corinthian helmet. Uh, There's Grecian or Corinthian helmets from Greece, and there's some from Italy, but it's around uh, the first century. We're talking about these Corinthian helmets here. And uh, then we have a what's called um, a barrel helm from the Middle Ages. This is around 1200 to 1300 A.D. Now, these aren't actual helmets from the period. These are just replicas. But it, it gets a point across, right? And then we have a closed helm, which uh, you find during the late medieval period, around mid-17th century. You think about the knights. The knights, and I, I can't put it on because it might mess up the microphone, and then they would really be upset with me back there. But um, you can see that all of these helmets have some protection, right? Can you imagine getting hit in one of those? But, you know, some of these, they, they would line with leather. Um, uh, the ones that were made out of iron, fabricated out of bronze and iron and, and different metals, obviously cost more and took more time to make than maybe a leather helmet. So there were some that protected more. But the whole object, no matter what period the helmet comes from or where you find it in the world, it was there to protect the head. Protect the head. One purpose, to protect the head. I forgot to tell you that all the notes are online. So if you go to lifeway.church forward slash 7-14-19, you can follow along in the notes. If you look at Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, you can see that God expects us to protect our head. Protect our head. Proverbs 4.23, this is out of the um, CEV version, contemporary English version. It says this, more than anything you guard, protect your mind, for life flows from it. Now, the King James Version says, uh, guard your heart because the issues of life come from your heart. But this version I like, the CEV version, a little bit better because it, it, it talks about protecting your mind, which we have other scriptures that validate that, right? Protect your mind for life flows from it. We're going to find out here in a minute that your mind is part of your soul. And so when we protect our mind, we're protecting our soul because out of our heart, our soul, flow the issues or the forces of life. And God wants us to protect our mind, protect our soul. This protection was from a a blow taken to the head. And a blow to the head caused injury, uh, concussion. When your brain rattles around in your skull so much that it does damage to the cells in your brain, a concussion. Concussion is nothing to play around with, right? There can be permanent damage. It, it, you can, if you suffer a, a certain head blow, you can, you can die, right? So... Um, it protects us. That is the number one purpose of a helmet. The enemy's strategy is not just to maim you and not just to slap you on the back of the hand. He wants to kill you and everybody around you. And so 
Uh, I don't know how many Marvel fans are in here. Marvel, you like Marvel. So uh, Infinity, Infinity Wars, there's a scene where Thor, I'm going to try to act it out for you because I can probably do a better job than the, than the video. Thor's coming down and he's got the, he's got the axe. You know, he gets the axe in Infinity War and he throws it at Thanos, Thanos, right, Thanos? And, and, and it, the axe comes, I mean, it pushes back the power of Thanos and the axe comes and boom, right in the heart. And then Thor comes up to him and there's this meeting face to face, face to face. And Thanos' big purple head's about three times bigger than Thor. And Thanos looks at him and he says, you should. And then he has to get his, his breath because he's got this axe in his heart. You should have gone for the head. Like that. So, <laughs> you remember that? That's pretty good. Give me a, yeah, <laughs> a couple of more times and maybe I could be a stand-in. <laughs> I don't like the big purple head, though. Go for the head. Why? I mean, he, he, he hit him in the heart, but the head still could connect with the hand, the glove, and when he snapped, boom, that was the whole plan, right? So the enemy is, is hunting for your head. He's a head hunter to take you down because your head controls the rest of you, right? Now, there's a brain in there, but your mind is in your heart, your soul, and your mind is attached to your brain. Your mind is attached to your brain. And so now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about mental health. There, there's more mental health issues today than ever. 44 million American adults have mental health condition. That's 13.5% of Americans. Or we could break it down to a little bit more than 1 in 10 people. A little bit more than 1 in 10 have mental health conditions today. And that number's rising. And it's rising in our children, guys. There's mental health issues. And so this is alarming, this is concerning, but it shouldn't be a surprise to us because the Bible tells us over and over and over again to guard our minds and to put the helmet of salvation on. So why is this mental health uh, an issue? Because your mind is the C2, is the command and control center. Now, I'm not military, so I had to look a little bit of this up. And the C2 are the command and control center, and I'm, I'm quoting from Wikipedia here. The command and control center is typically a secure room or building in a government or military facility that operates as the agency's dispatch center, surveillance monitoring center, coordination office, and alarm monitoring center all in one. And uh, the command and control functions that are performed through an arrangement of personnel, equipment, communications, facilities, and procedures employed by a commander in planning, directing, coordinating, and controlling forces and operations in the accomplishment of the mission. And so what I want us to see in this command and control center, this C2, command and control center, we need to process information in order to make a decision, in order to act. Is this right? 
process the information in order to make a decision to act. You're not just going to sit there. You have a response. If there's something incoming, you need to have a response. You need a deflection. You need a response. You don't just say, oh, we've been hit. What do we do? <laughs> right? Because the enemy is not playing. He's not playing around. Listen, he, think about this, guys. Now, I'm not making the power of the enemy big, any bigger than it is. But the first man that was created on earth that had dominion over all everything, he had dominion. The enemy tried him and tested him and took him down like that. And we think that we're a lot better off than Adam. Now, through Christ, we are. But there, we still have this human side to us, right? right? Jesus has given us his power and his authority, but most of the time, uh, a lot of the time, some of the time, a little bit of the time, we don't walk in it totally, right? Did I just cover everybody, right? Because there's sometimes that I get hit and I'm going, what happened? Because I left the house naked, <laughs> right? Without my armor. So we have to make decisions on what's going on so that we can decide how to respond. And this is that command and control center that the enemy has his big guns aimed at. He says, I'm going to knock them out. I'm going to knock that com uh, central command control center out so they can't fight back. And that's our head. That's our, that's our head. Our, our brain is more than a brain. It, it has a connection with our mind, like I said before. Your mind is a part of your soul. And your mind is influenced by your emotions and in order to affect your will. And the enemy knows that we're an emotional being. That's why he plays with our emotions so that he can shut us down or get us mad and so that we can uh, come against people because he has to use people against other people. I read a quote the other day uh, that said, imagine that if no one acted on an evil thought, there would be no evil. Because evil comes from the thought of evil, right? Evil comes by way of thought. And so it, it further confirms the fact that the battlefield is the mind. It further confirms the fact that we won't get to everything today because we'll, we'll have to hold some of this stuff over to next tomorrow. I say tomorrow, but uh, next Sunday. There's just so much to go over here. This is such an important part of our weaponry, our, our armor. So 2 Corinthians, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh or live in this flesh body... We do not war according to the what? Flesh. That's why flesh against flesh ends up in death. Right? Don't go to war in flesh. Don't point at anybody else's flesh because you've got flesh. Flesh doesn't win up against flesh. And then verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. These arguments happen in your head, not your spouse's head. Don't be trying to cast down arguments in your spouse's head or don't try to argue with your spouse to cast down arguments in their head. The arguments are up in your head. 
And so the weapons that God has given us work in our mind so that we can cast down vain imaginations, our, our thoughts that don't produce anything. We can cast those down. We can capture them, cast them down, bringing them into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we can say when the enemy launches an attack, he's aiming it at our mind. Because if the enemy can get you reasoning with the carnal mind, then he can twist you up and confuse you to the point where you don't know what to believe or what to do. You ever been to the place where you just say, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. That's called confusion. That is a full-blown manifestation of the enemy. A demonic manifestation. I didn't say you had a demon. Listen, there's, there's, there's two things. There's oppression and there's possession. The, the enemy can oppress you to a place to where you're so confused you, you, you don't even know what your name is. And so it's very real. This battle is very real. So let me go over the three steps that the enemy uses to assault your mind. There's three steps. Number one is question. Question. That's why. Have you ever thought about why this question mark looks like a serpent with a little dot at the bottom? Because the serpent came into the garden. Look over in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The serpent came in the garden and said, I'm just going to read starting in, in chapter 1, the New Living Translation, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day the serpent asked the woman, did God really say? If that's not underlined in your Bible, you need to underline it. If you have never considered that phrase, I want you to consider it now. Did God really say? That's, that's the enemy's number one, his first step in infiltrating your mind. He wants to cause you to doubt God's word. Did God really say that? And listen, if he asks you that question and you don't know what God said, then you can't, you can't have a defense to that question. Your defense is, I don't know. Maybe he didn't say. I, I, I'm not sure. So... Immediately, we don't have a shield of faith and our, and, and our helmet of salvation is nowhere to be found. We need to know what the Word of God says. And this is where the enemy came at Eve. Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He'll take, he'll take the truth and twist it a little bit and then quote it back to you. That's what he did when he tested Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. He took Scripture and twisted it. And said, did, did God say <laughs> that, that, did God say? So the second step that enemy uses is confusion. Because if you can't answer, did God say, if you can't answer with surety and faith that God said this, then he, he elevates it a little bit. He causes confusion. And your thinking progresses like this. Well, I thought this, but maybe it's really that. I don't know. Maybe so. You become uncertain. And the devil uses that uncertainty to cause division. 
uncertainty causes division. You ever been in a meeting at work where an issue came up and there are team leaders from both sides and nobody wants to take the blame for what's going on? And it's like, well, what do we do? Oh, I don't know. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Not my fault. Not my fault. And there's division. Nothing gets done. And they may fight for a year over this one problem. Nothing gets done. No profits are made. There's division in the company, and people are pointing fingers. And I, I, you did, and I did, and we did, and I. You ever been there? Yes. Division. The enemy loves to divide. Look at this in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus tells us, because people were accusing Jesus of casting out the devil and having a devil. He's got a devil. So that's, that's how he's able to cast out the devil. Think about that twisted reasoning. They fell, they fell for the lie from, from the devil. And the, 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 the truth of God's word just exposed the lie. Well, he has a devil. That's how he's casting out the devil. Jesus stands up and speaks the truth. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined or will not stand, will fall. Every city or household, this is in the NIV version, it says city or household divided against itself will not stand. So Jesus tells us right here that the strategy of the enemy is to get people divided. Well, we can't, we can't agree on this. Where there's division, the enemy, there's activity from the enemy. Could you guys agree with that? Where there's division. That's why it's so important that we work for unity. And unity doesn't mean that we agree on everything. We, we can agree to disagree and still walk in unity. Wow, that's a concept. That went over real well. We can agree to disagree and still walk in unity. Right? See, this is a lie that the enemy... I'll just take a pause here and tell you the, 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 the condition of our country. The enemy is purporting lies out there saying this nation is divided, this nation is divided, this nation is divided, and he's pointing to all these outward, outward evidences that this nation is divided. When we've sang for years, one nation under God, we put in our money in God, we trust, and, and it was founded on unity. That doesn't mean that we all have to go to the same church or same denomination. We have to believe alike. It doesn't mean that we, even in this country, we never said that this was a Christian country and everyone that lives here must be Christian. Come on, guys. Are you out there? Do, do, you, do you agree with that? We're not, the, the early American settlers were not forcing everybody to be like, be like them, look like them, and, and behave like them, right? Unity does not mean that we have to agree totally on everything. There's room for difference, guys, right? But the enemy, his second step in destruction is, is to uh, confuse so he can divide. Then the third step is paralyze. So first, he wants to question. Second, he wants to confuse. And third, he wants to paralyze. The enemy says, if I can jam them up so tight that they can't think, then they're not in their right mind, which leads to helplessness and hopelessness. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless, which progresses to somebody thinking for you and doing everything for you. 
you're totally paralyzed. You can't, you can't even use your faculties. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I see a lot more in that verse than, than, than I did 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even five years ago. I was studying that this week and think, wow, okay. So here's some opposites. The opposite of fear is what? We say faith. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. So the opposite of fear is power. Fear paralyzes and neutralizes. No power. God's given us a spirit full of power, not one of fear. He's given us a spirit of love. That's another opposite of fear. Love empowers. Love gives. Love does. Love has compassion and moves toward the problem, not away from the problem. Oh, well, you have some communicable disease, so uh, I can't be around you. Well, why don't you believe that you want, that you can touch any deadly thing and it won't hurt you? Come on, guys. Half the Christians in the world, I'm, I'm, I'm really get to preaching here. Half of us as Christians live in fear. Are we going to drink the wrong water? We're going to, oh, what happened when I was growing up? I mean, I, I went out to the hose and drink out of the hose. I walked around barefooted. And now we're like, oh, the planet has changed so much. If we let little Johnny out, we have to have him in a little space bubble because oh, he can't touch anything. Oh, my goodness. Come on now. The opposite of fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. Listen, this kind of thinking will drive you crazy. Oh, somebody sat there that had some disease. Oh, no. Cancer might come off of the chair on me. No. God didn't give us that spirit. <laughs> Put on your helmet. Start thinking right. Because you're thinking like the enemy. He's got you jammed up. So you won't do anything. Stay in your house. Don't go out to the marketplace and witness to anybody. No. Stay in your house. Just have an internet ministry. Just send scripture over the internet all day. Don't go out. Heaven forbid that you lay hands on the sick. Where are the people that are sick? Out at the Kroger. They're sneezing. Oh, get away. Leper, leper, leper. Guys, think about it. Now, I'm not saying be stupid. Come on. There's extremes both ways. But let's trust God. Keep on our armor. Because God's not giving you a spirit of fear. The, the devil wants to paralyze the body of Christ. And he has most of them. Most of them. Because we don't know our authority. And we're not wearing our armor. Okay. If we're so confused and our minds are so overwhelmed, we will not be able to reason in a calm manner and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in order to launch a counterattack. Here comes the first Scud missile. Boom! What just happened? I don't know. Command and control center is blown away. We didn't, we didn't even prepare for that attack. We can't launch a counterattack. We're so overwhelmed. Red alert, red alert, red alert, retreat, retreat, retreat. Boom, 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 boom. Another one bites the dust. Hey, hey. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we, need to, we need to man up, woman up, 
Put on our armor. Throw our shoulders back and say, not today, Satan. Not today. Not today. Not today. And not tomorrow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm in him. Not today. <laughs> now I'm going to give you some factoids about the mind. Factoids about the mind. I, I wanted to be a little bit scientific, so I had to go to some authorities in the science world. So there's a thing called the National Science Foundation. It published an article, and you can look this up on, on the Internet. I'll give you my notes if you want to. Listen, I, I, I don't, I don't, this is not secret information here. The Word of God is greater than everything. And so I'm not, I, I'm not uh, uh, how do you say, I lost the word, intimidated by the knowledge that's out on the Internet. Because the truth always proves out to be the truth. The Internet can have thousands and millions and millions of lies, but the truth still stands. In 2005, this, this National Science Foundation published an article regarding research about the human thoughts per day. Have you ever thought about how many thoughts you had per day? The average... <laughs> Now, Dan, you have a lot more thoughts than most of us <laughs> because your mind works in a higher gear or something like that. But it says the average person, guys, the average. I, I'm just the average Joe. Average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. And of those thoughts, I thought this was interesting. I thought this was interesting. Huh. 80% are negative. So if this scientific research foundation did this research and said that of those thoughts, I mean, take the low number, 12,000, or the high number, 60,000. Of those thoughts, 80% are negative. Wow. That shows me that the enemy is really out to steal, kill, and destroy the thought life of most people. And then think about this. It says, furthermore, 95 percent are exactly the same repetitive thoughts as the day before. <laughs> See how important it is to pray? Because God can give you new thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so it's time to exchange our thoughts for His thoughts. Because they've proven that you... 85% of what you think is negative, and then 95%, uh, 80% are negative, and 95% are the same thoughts you thought yesterday. Would you agree with that? Come, we're creatures of habit. I thought that was interesting. So I'm going to give you some quotes from Dr. Caroline Leaf because I couldn't do any other, I couldn't do a better job than Caroline Leaf does. If you haven't read some of her books, you need to. It talks about the mind, this, this helmet of salvation, this thing that we're talking about. Here's some quotes that she had. Research, show, research shows that 75 to 80, uh, 98% of mental, physical, and behavioral illnesses come from our thought life which means what we consistently think, think on each day. If you're not familiar with that term, thought life. Here's another quote. When we are anxious, now this is a brain scientist. This is a brain and mind scientist that has studied this stuff for 40 years probably. 
this is not somebody that's just quoting just what she thinks. This is something she researched. Here's another quote. When we are anxious, this can cause the front part of the brain to disengage and our decision-making becomes impaired. And so I say to that, no wonder the devil wants to strike you with thoughts that cause fear. And if you've ever had this thought, you're going to die. And the devil always follows that up. You're going to die with now. <laughs> right? He didn't say, no, you're going to die when you get 57 and a half in May of the second week of that year. No, he wants to kill you now. You're going to die and die now. Right? <laughs> right? He wants to paralyze you with thoughts of fear. Here's another quote. The toxic thoughts in our minds become physical baggage in our brain, which literally, can, which literally cause brain damage. All, this, all these quotes are written out on those notes that you can have access to. Here's another one. Thoughts driven by the power of feelings are shapers of our reality. This is why we need to bring all thoughts into captivity to Christ. So, I'm saying that I believe that the world is at a place and we as a society are at a place where distraction is, is at an all-time high. Distractions are designed to produce weak minds. Here's how you can tell if you have a weak mind. If your mind wanders, wanders, which means you don't have control of it. Is it hard to focus? Is it hard for you to focus in your mind? Isn't it strange that when we plan to pray, how many things can distract us? I mean, you, you start hearing the fried chicken talking to you out of the refrigerator. Hey, aren't you hungry? Like, do I hear? <laughs> I remember fried chicken in the refrigerator. Who has time to pray when I have to eat? I mean, I have to eat. I mean, I just ate a couple hours ago, but I need to eat again. And that fried chicken, if I don't eat it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go to waste. It's going to grow mold on it. <laughs> I got to go eat it. Especially if there's like, you know, a piece of chocolate pie in there or something. But isn't it, I mean, you, you want to make a date with the Lord and prepare for your future by speaking to him and praying. And how many things, how easily are we distracted? How about your normal day, your everyday normal working day? Do you feel like, here's another indication, do you feel like everyone's interrupting you? I'm just interrupted all the time. Interrupted, interrupted, interrupted. Can't get anything done. Everybody keeps bothering me. <laughs> Bottom line, we allow interruptions. Sometimes the word no is an anointed word. Now, I am excluding women with little babies and you've got to take care of the safety of your baby. You can't just lock yourself in the room and say, okay, I'm going to pray now for three hours. You guys do whatever you want to do. All right? Don't bother mom. She's interceding for the world, right? <laughs> so there's, 
There's some conditions here, but what I'm saying is we have allowed ourselves to become this one jumbled up mess where everybody, every interruption is important and we can't get anything done and we're blaming everybody else because everybody else interrupts me because we have learned how to live distracted. And when we learn to live distracted, it's hard for us to focus our mind. It's hard for us to have control of our mind. And it's easy for the enemy to come in and take control and start running you down a path that is not even real. Did you know fear is false evidences appearing real? If the devil can stir you up with thought after thought after thought, and then pretty soon, I mean, the whole earth is going to end by 12 noon today, then maybe he's controlling you. So I believe the devil is using the speed of change in technology and this illusion of multitasking in order to short-circuit our minds. God never intended for us to live this multitasked life. I found myself on the phone the other day. I, maybe it was even yesterday. I can't even remember. I'm, it's such a fog. <laughs> that shows you where I'm at most of the time. I'm talking on the phone. And I'm answering a text, and I'm trying to send an email at the same time. And I caught myself, and I'm thinking, uh, before I push send, I better spell check this because it, a word could be wrong here. Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. And sent the wrong message to the wrong person because you have so many windows open, and, and you're talking on the phone at the same time trying to answer a question. And we learn to function like that, and this is where the enemy steps in. So, let me give you three points about the, our helmet. Last three points. Are you, are you getting anything out of this? Okay. Here's our helmet, guys. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. First point, we have it. We have it. We have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16. 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In other words, none of us are even capable of instructing the Lord to do anything. Because we, we, know, we see through a glass darkly. We don't have a clue of all of the thoughts that the Lord thinks. Right? That's why we, we have to pray and get quiet so that he can tell us what he thinks about us. Amen. But... There's hope for us because the end of this verse says we have the mind of Christ. I'm so glad that the Bible tells me that I have the mind of Christ because there's sometimes, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's just not a faith statement. That's not a faith <laughs> confession. But life happens at the speed of light. In case you haven't noticed, and I try to do everything all at one time, and I know you're like me, and there's sometimes you just feel. Now, it doesn't come out of my mouth most of the time, but I feel like, ah, all my gears are slipping, and I'm just, ah. <laughs> this is a true confession this morning. Huh? <laughs> but aren't you glad you know the, that you have the mind of Christ? 
I have the mind of Christ. I am not going crazy. I passed that train up, that crazy train. Crazy train, that's not me. <laughs> I'm getting on the sound mind train. The sound mind. He's given me not a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And I have the mind of Christ. We have it. Everybody say, I have it. The mind of Christ. Number two, we have to choose to use it. Just because you have it doesn't mean you're using it. Every Christian has access to the mind of Christ, but not every Christian uses and engages the mind of Christ. We're going to get into that next week. We have to choose to use it. Philippians 4, 8, the New Living Translation. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This gives us a list of what to think on. And if the Bible says we should be thinking on these things, the Lord knows that we can think on those things. And so he's asking us, he's, he's telling us what things to think on. And so we have to choose to think on these things. Engaging the mind of Christ is a deliberate decision. And number three, the last point here, we have to use the mind of Christ to identify incoming thoughts. We have to use the mind of Christ to identify incoming thoughts. And we're going to go back to that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. God has faith in you to walk victorious in this life. He's given you his armor. He's given you the helmet of salvation. And here's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Thank God that we don't have to wear natural armor like this. When you're a Christian, you get, everybody gets a little helmet. Uh, how stupid is this? Here I go. But th think. Now, I tried to put myself back in the day, in the medieval times. Think about, I mean, you signed up, you're a soldier, and you got to put this thing on your head. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, what if my neighbor knocks into me? He'll knock me down. <laughs> I mean, this was so uncomfortable. I'd rather be Iron Man, just... He just thinks... <laughs> but this? I mean... It may be uncomfortable, but we've got to do it. We've got to do it. We've got to do it because there's an enemy. And he doesn't wait for you. He doesn't wait... Oh, now they got their armor on. Now I think I'll take a shot at them. No, they, he's trying to shoot at you before you get your armor on. So that you're like, what, what armor? Where did I leave it? Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing. That's, those are thoughts that try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought, not just one out of ten or two out of five, every thought, not even eight out of ten, every thought into the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
So if we're going to punish disobedient thoughts, that means we have to have authority over them. Right? And so I'm telling you today, you have authority over your thoughts. God has given you the ability to control your mind. And that's not a freaky phrase. I'm not teaching you some mind over matter stuff. I'm teaching you the word works over your mind, which controls your life. And the world is proving this. The world is proving that these devices that distract us are causing accidents on the road, killing people, causing people at work to produce less because they're over playing Candy Crush and posting on Facebook all the time. Come on, guys. We can't even, we can't even focus on, on working and getting, doing eight hours worth of work where we're getting paid. Ah, you're going to take my phone away from me and tell me I can't talk on the phone? Just admit it. And most of the time, you're not talking on the phone. You're, you're posting Instagram and posting Facebook. And psh, Come on. We've got to get control of our mind through the Word, putting on our helmet. So we're going to take communion. As we take communion, I believe the Lord is going to bring some peace where there's been confusion. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast. If you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give online by visiting us on our website at lifeway.church forward slash give. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this.